Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Eason here with life coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday. Happy Neville Day. Neville Day is back here on LOA Today. It is July 7th, 2019 at 4 p.m. New York time. That's 1 p.m. in Los Angeles, 9 p.m. in London, and 6 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. And Cindy, we've now added Tokyo at the request of a of one of our listeners. So it's 5 a.m. in Tokyo. Um, but wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another yeah. episode of LOA Today. You're a daily dose of happy, and I'm happy that my friend Cindy is back from vacation. Oh, I'm happy, too. I can't believe it's already the 17th of July. It's kind of amazing. And uh, good morning to Tokyo, 5 a.m. There. Good morning, Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, we had, a, we had a wonderful time, and we were in a place where there were, was no internet connectivity. What was funny is I guess I guess it was connecting a little bit, like a second here. <laughs> you know, the the pieces would finally get put together because about once a day, um, when I would wake up in the morning, I would look at my phone because I use it as a clock, and I would say, "What time mm-hmm. is it?" And there would be all these pushes and emails and different, <laughs> and I couldn't look at them and I couldn't reply. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was really nice to have that break from all the technology and just, I fell asleep in a hammock for the first time ever and just gently swaying back and forth looking at this beautiful lake. And it was very, very nice. It was beautiful. The day before we left to go on vacation, um, I went to take a letter out of my mailbox. And as I pulled the envelope out, something else came flying out and I, then I realized it was a little tiny mama bird that was mad as hell and squawking her head off. Oh no. <laughs> and I looked in and th- there kept being a little bits and pieces of a nest in my mailbox and we kept taking it out, but she must've made this nest. Mm. And there were four little eggs in there that are about wow. long each. And so that was um, before the 4th of July. So I'm thinking that any day now we are going to have baby birds in the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting form of delivery. <laughs> right. So I, I heard, I, well, I put a second mailbox out and I put a sign on the one that says bird nest and a sign on the other one that says, please place mail here. <laughs> mail carrier has complied. And um, so we're all waiting to see, you know, the baby birds. But I read somewhere this morning that said having a, a bird nest, um, you know, on your property is good luck. So I'm going to take oh. that and uh, say, excellent. <laughs> okay. Well, if nothing else, it's also fascinating. I mean, for whatever reason, she decided that was the place to have her babies. What an interesting thing. It is a Carolina wren. They're really small, like their bodies, like a little round body, like the size of a golf ball. They're just tiny. And from what I've been studying, the, the father bird makes like half a dozen to a dozen nests. Wow. And then she picks the one she wants and she'll put like the really <laughs> soft grass inside the one she wants and she'll lay her eggs in there. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Mm, <laughs> so I'll yeah. have to keep you posted about the baby birds. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually a very nice light story. I mean, compared to other stories that we could be telling, that's a good one. I like well, that. every time I, I, I've looked in there a couple times and then one time I looked in there and I was trying to take a little video and she came flying out and she was so mad. And mm. my husband says, you are a big, scary monster. Like, that's true. stop looking in there. That's what you are to her. I'm saying, no, I'm a nice person who's. <laughs> <laughs> 
think he's right. I'm just a big scary monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, anything that goes anywhere within 50 yards of a of, of a nest of eggs is going to be a big scary monster. I don't care how large or small it is. I mean, that's just going to be how it is. Yeah, and so the 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 bird community, you know, they're trying to protect the nest, and they get very loud and squawky. But... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny though. <laughs> Well, they oh, say that the post office delivery, up. they say post office delivery is improving. I think we can now see that there's a sign of that. There's an actual delivery room in the post office box at your house. Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Well, you know, we came home from vacation and we had a hurricane. So um, we were also protecting the mailbox through the hurricane. Ah, yes. Yeah. I take it that everybody came through okay. We did. It was a slow moving storm. It was moving three miles an hour, which is excruciating. That's unusual. Mm. Because you're just waiting and waiting and you think, well, I guess it's going to hit this afternoon. I guess it's going to hit tonight. I guess it's going to hit in the middle of the night. I guess it's not going to be till tomorrow. And it just takes forever. And um, we actually live in a place where we often have had power outages whenever there have been hurricanes. And the last hurricane, or second to the last, we were without power for 25 days. Whoa, yeah. Come to find out, my house is like on a grid by itself. And so when the next door house is on a grid with 500 other homes, they're going to come fix that part of the grid first because they want to get as many people as they possibly can. So during the storm where I was without power for 25 days, I was literally like the last house to have power. Oh, no. I kept watching the map, and I kept watching all the red lines go clear and clear and clear. I was like, what? <laughs> and I didn't know. And that was like eight years ago. I didn't know until mm. this time because I was talking to one of the power guys, and he said, well, your house is on the thing like with, with one other house. So the two of you were the last ones. Uh, so what happened was we didn't lose power, which was like a miracle. It was so Ooh. great. We did a lot of visualizing. Yeah. And we didn't lose power, and we heard this knock at the back door. We go answer the door, and it's the power company. And the house next to us had a huge tree come down. And I have the same trees in my yard. Whoa. Huge tree come down. It took down the power line. It took down a, a whole retaining wall, just knocked it into the street. Mm. And the power uh, people were coming to ask us if they could turn our power off for just 10 minutes. <laughs> so we kind of laughed that we had the, you know, the power outage, but it was by permission. And it only right. So it's like, wow, if that's all we had to go through, this, this was one storm that wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, only 10 minutes. I mean, that, I mean, yes, it's, it's very warm this time of year. So you don't want to be too long, but that's almost nothing. That's really a good result. And I love the fact that you tell us that you did it through visualization. That's one of my favorite things to do in weather. I was talking to some of my LOA colleagues uh, and saying, you know, of course, you know, I reached out to you and said, send all your good because you're you're the weatherman, the LOA weatherman. So I was like, send us all your good weather mojo because we're going to need it. And um, in the conversation with a couple of my LOA coach colleagues, it hit me. I said, oh, I'm going to start visualizing myself do, doing things that require power, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> the radar, watching the TV, all the things yeah. that stay inside that, that you have your power on because uh, I've been without it. That's really not fun when it's 108 degrees with the heat index. <laughs> well, congratulations because, I mean, there were like, what, 100,000, 200,000 homes that were without power as a result of that storm. So you did well. You did very well. I've been in that situation too, you know, mm-hmm. so, but I'm very grateful that this time we had a better experience where we were, you know, really just turned in to stay inside the house and eat a bunch of unhealthy snacks. <laughs> for, some reason, 
whenever you prepare for a hurricane, it's like none of that. Everything goes out the window. It's like, oh yeah, chips, just throw them in. It's okay. <laughs> I turned into binge watching Versailles and eating chips and. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's let's good. Hope hurricane season is June through November, so let's just hope that we don't have too many times that we have to prepare. But we always want to say all that preparation for nothing. That's what we want to say. And, and you touched <laughs> on the other right word, gratitude. You're, you're grateful for how it all worked out. That's huge. I mean, we both know that. The power of gratitude is gigantic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. So the uh, return of Cindy Chavez also is the advent of a new book by Neville Goddard. I mean, I shouldn't say new. He wrote it a number of years ago, but it's new for us. We haven't yet done it and reviewed it on the show. This is true. And it may or may not be, I was trying to figure this out, one of the first Neville books that I ever read. Oh, really? Last books that he wrote. Yes. So it's more current than a lot of the other books we've been reading. Uh, but I think I read it so long ago that I've forgotten a lot of it because I started looking at it just a little bit. I actually had this idea. It's like I kind of want to go through it new and fresh for the podcast mm-hmm. because there's that dynamic of learning something together while we go through it, which mm-hmm. is really nice. And we've had viewers even comment on like, like that's Absolutely. Really cool when everybody's learning together. Uh, and so I looked at it, and I did realize, though, that this is the book where Neville – Um, Because over the years of Neville teaching, he received lots of letters and conversations with people who had used his methods and had wonderful results and wrote to tell him. Mm -hmm. He says at the beginning of this book in the like little introduction that there's no way he could have included them all. And Mm -hmm. he two people that helped him choose which ones. And so a long time ago, we did sort of like a Neville Goddard's Greatest Hits or something. Right. Where, where we pulled out some of the stories. And so those may be familiar to people that heard that show. It's been over a year. But mm-hmm. um, but they're in this book. So And that's one of the things that I think makes this so fantastic because I love hearing the stories of success stories, LOA success stories. It's always Absolutely. very inspiring and encouraging and, you know, and this, and this book is is the one that I think is probably most closely associated by a large number of people with Neville Goddard. This is this is like his signature book, right? This is his magnum opus, according to uh, most of his followers. So this is this is not a small book. This is very significant, and it's probably, I guess, in some ways, you could even say it's the most controversial because of the way he he presented his ideas in the book. That he divides it. It's almost like it's two books in one. Mm-hmm. You have the law, and then you have the promise, and that becomes the law and the promise. Um, and, of course, it's the promise part that everybody pays all their attention to. Well, we'll go through the law part first, but <laughs> the promise part is what they all want to look at. Right. right. Well, I think it's uh, it's always fun to go through Neville, put, get out the Neville decoder rings and mm-hmm. you know what he's saying, and then beyond that to start applying it. Because, right. as we know, uh, law of attraction works in practice, not in theory. And sometimes we get caught up in learning as much as we can, and we have all this theory in our head. But if we don't start actually doing it, then we don't see the results we want. So It, it reminds me of the Mike Dooley uh, example that he gives when he's trying to encourage people to take inspired action. He says it's like in, you're in your car, and the vision board is in the side seat, and you've got the secret in the back seat, and you've been doing <laughs> your visualizing, you've been doing your affirmations, but you're not going to go anywhere on your trip until you put the car into gear. 
true. And, you know, I remember one time I was looking for, because uh, I'm a voracious reader and because I love these kind of topics, I love spirituality and mysticism and law of attraction and magic and all this stuff, and I was looking for a book. And I don't mean I was looking for a specific book like in my house. I was, like, searching for a new book. Mm-hmm. And I heard very clearly – <laughs> I'm not going to wow. say it's an audible voice, but it was that inner voice that's so loud sometimes. It said, Cindy, you don't need a new book. You need to put into practice <laughs> read in the other books. And I was like, oh, kind of, okay, that's true. That's true. This is where the coach has to follow her own coaching advice. Yes, right? Right. It's so much easier to just, you know, <laughs> Just dish it out there. Hey, I have to do it. I think you're the one who has to do all the work. <laughs> Well, before we get into the book, I want to make sure I get our uh, promotional announcements made. Uh, I, I have been uh, warned off by one of our wonderful listeners about uh, using the phrase, getting them out of the way, because she's right, they're important. So I want to make sure that we get them in there, because they are so important. And they're very simple. First of all, um, in case you have not heard the announcement, The Grass is Greener, the audio play series that Alex and I have been working on for quite some time, is scheduled for its world premiere this Friday at 10 p.m. New York time. We are going to start doing a live stream at 9.45. It'll be through uh, a channel like this one um, on YouTube. It's actually going to be a separate channel for the the Grass is Greener uh, page on YouTube. Um, but uh, I'll include links here in the episode here that you're listening to, and we're publishing them all over the place. So please feel free to join us for the live stream, and uh, you'll, we'll actually be playing the audio, um, the first episode during the live stream right at 10 p.m. New York time. So um, it's it's exciting. It's getting very, very real. And, and like I was telling you, Cindy, before the show, uh, it's becoming even more real because I'm still editing. I'm three-quarters of the way done with the editing, and I've got, like, two days left to finish it. It's like, oh, my God, I'm up against the deadline. Ah! I feel like Walt is famous for setting a deadline that's like, oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? That's how we get it done, right? But uh, yeah. it's so exciting. I can't stop smiling about it. I have had from day one of hearing this idea just so much positive you know, good feeling about it. I'm mm-hmm. very excited. I, I'm excited too. I, I like I told Alex yesterday. Yesterday was the first day where I actually started feeling nervous. So there's a, there's a nervous excitement going on right now. But I'm still excited, and it's fun putting the um, you know you're you're basically piecing together all the different scenes that were recorded by our wonderful cast of actors and, and our director. And as you're piecing it together, you're creating, you're telling a story but you're doing it through sound. You can't use any video, you know, because it's an audio play. Right. So you have to present a background noise, whatever's appropriate for what's going on. So like in the, the very first scene, they're outdoors. So you have to make it sound like you're outdoors. And it's actually in Los Angeles. So you have to have all this traffic going on. And <laughs> yeah, and as people are moving around, they're walking. So you have to have the footsteps walking on the pavement. And, you know, it, it's interesting trying to piece all that together. You feel yeah. like, wow, you're you're actually a sound engineer. <laughs> right. You're you're a Foley artist now. That's right. amazing. That's fun. That's fun. So anyway, yeah. you can you can find the live stream on YouTube by searching for the grass is greener. I'm sure it will start popping up pretty soon, even though I created the channel yesterday, but uh, it, it probably shouldn't be too difficult to find. Um and in case you can't just look in the uh the links for that. There'll also be a link for subscribing to the podcast itself, which will have its first episode once we actually publish it on Friday. Um, now, also, we want you to subscribe to this program, LOA Today, uh, which we do five days a week, uh, in part because every single episode is a completely different episode. 
different topics. I mean, basically, the way I like to look at it is LOA Today is about life because the law of attraction touches every area of our lives. So most of the people who listen, uh, Cindy, I, I can tell you roughly 85, maybe 90% from, depends from, you know, varies from episode to episode, 85 to 90% of all the people who download um, the podcast episode each day are subscribers, which is very cool. Um, but that means there's 10 to 15% who aren't subscribers. So you're the ones that I'm talking to right now. I want you to go to LOAToday.net, and at the top of the page, you will see instructions on how to use your particular device to subscribe to the podcast. And then, of course, once you do that, it's really quick. It happens in about 30 seconds. And then once you've done that, make sure that you share the fact on social media so that other people can get their daily doses of happy as well. And by the way, we when we record these, we live stream these recordings as well to YouTube. So look for us on YouTube. Go to YouTube and do a search for LOA Today Podcast Videos. We'll pop right up. And um, by the way, you might also be searching for The Grass is Greener at the same time. And then click the subscribe button on both of those pages and the little bell next to each of the subscribe buttons so you can get notified every single time that we put out an episode. And those are our promotional announcements for the day. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm excited about diving into a brand new Neville book. Me too. But it's brand new for us. And uh, like you were saying about the, the different parts of this book, the law and the promise. And, you know, I have to say, because of all of the um, Bible verses, the Christian Bible verses that Neville often uses, and he often mm-hmm. So uses uh, verses from other Bibles besides the Christian Bible. Sure. Mm-hmm. But because of that, the first time I saw the title of this book, The Law and the Promise, I immediately thought about, uh, you know, that it was from that kind of a context, like the law being the Torah mm. and then, you know, the Ten Commandments or whatever, and the promise. Right. And, and I'm sure he's probably going to add quite a bit of that in here. But what's interesting is the way the first chapter starts, because... It's called The Law, and it's in quotes. The title is in quotes, The Law, in all caps. And the very next line is a subtitle in all caps that says, Imagining Creates Reality. (laughs) And so uh, when I saw that, you know, what struck me was, oh, this is the law. Yeah. This is what Neville is saying is the law, is that our imagination is what's creating reality. So I think that's exciting. So he starts with, a verse from Blake that says, man is all imagination. God is man and exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination. That is God himself. So this is Blake, who seems to have been quite an influence on Neville, along mm. with Abdullah and probably many other sources. Uh, but here is Blake saying that imagination is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was kind of surprised to see that, actually. I didn't realize that he, his beliefs um, went in that direction, which would make him that, – that would kind of make him a little bit ahead of his time, considering, you know, what, what it was like at that time you know, from a religious perspective. You, you generally adhered to what the church said, and he was kind of going a little bit beyond that. I would think so, too. So, so Neville says the purpose of the first portion of this book is to show through actual true stories – how imagining creates reality. Science progresses by way of hypothesis, tentatively tested and afterwards accepted or rejected according to the facts of the experience. The claim that imagining creates reality needs no more consideration than is allowed by science. It proves itself in performance. (laughs) 
The world in which we live is a world of imagination. In fact, life itself is an activity of imagining. For Blake, wrote Professor Morrison of the University of St. Andrews, the world originates in a divine activity identical with what we know ourselves as the activity of imagination. His task being to open the immortal eyes of man inward into the world of thought, into eternity, ever expanding in the bosom of God, the human imagination. So here's a professor that is explaining Blake's words as, again, that the human imagination is God. Mm-hmm. I love the way he says here, to open the immortal eyes of man inward yeah. in, into the worlds of thought, into eternity. For me, that kind of blew my mind. It was like, I always think of eternity when I hear that word as being something that's outward, something that's so beyond me, right? And it's mm-hmm. like he is saying when we look inward, we find eternity. I thought that was just cool. <laughs> it, it, well, it actually kind of makes sense when you think about it because yeah. what he's really saying is in one sentence, he, he's combining some thoughts together and saying, well, we are eternal beings. We are source energy. Yeah. We are spirit. We exist Eternally, we don't, I'm, we, we have, we experience physical death, but after physical death, we just continue anyway, because we are source energy. And as a result of having that perspective, so to speak, uh, what we can understand is that when we look within, we're basically looking into our eternal selves. And that eternal self is, has endless connections to it. I don't know how else to describe that. It has endless pieces of itself. It's like, a, it's almost like a, uh, an echo that goes on forever. Yes, yes. I was just going to say an echo that goes on forever. And you ah. said, like, yes, that's exactly. And it's like the, there's a lot of power in that, right? Yes. So Neville says nothing appears or continues in being by a power of its own. Events happen because comparatively stable imaginal activities created them. And they continue in being only as long as they receive such support. The secret of imagining, writes Douglas Fawcett, is the greatest of all problems to the solution of which the mystic aspires. Supreme power, supreme wisdom, supreme delight lie in the far-off solution of this mystery. That's that's information for me, actually. I didn't realize until I read that sentence that I was a mystic. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what I aspire to. It's like, oh, really? Oh, that makes me a mystic? Okay. (laughs) Secret of imagining is the uh, is what the mystic aspires to. So yes, you are officially now a mystic, according to, to Douglas Fawcett. So when man solves the mystery of imagining, he will have discovered the secret of causation, and that is imagining creates reality. Therefore, the man who is aware of what he is imagining knows what he is creating realizes more and more that the drama of life is imaginal, not physical. Now, this is where we start talking about the difference between creating. We always say we're all creating everything. We're all creators. And conscious creation. Mm -hmm. There's a difference there. Because before we recognized that it was our imagination that was creating things, we just created things unconsciously. Right. And once we know that, then we... Like he says, the man who is aware of what he is imagining knows that he's creating. Jeffrey added something, by the way, from our live stream audience. He, he, yes. uh, he said that uh, also we invented the concepts of time and eternity. Yes, 
it's just a it's just a mental construct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I've had an interesting thing happen many many times um, in coaching sessions, but even before I was coaching, uh, and and you may have something like this that you can think back on, but it came up in a conversation with a client recently, and that is. A sort of background, it's hard for me to explain, but kind of a background idea as a younger person of something in the future. Like this person said, oh, I, as a, a younger person, I would always drive by these buildings and I just knew I was going to work in that building one day. Or <laughs> I, had, I had someone else that said, I knew I was going to have a, a, a little apartment that looked a certain way. And, you know, mm. I knew that for just, to, but it wasn't a super conscious thing that was thought of all the time or that was consciously trying to be manifested, you know, purposefully. It was just an idea, just a thought. And um, and so I said to, to them in the conversation that if time is not linear, then who's to say that as a young person, you weren't just sort of, that that wasn't just sort of bleeding through, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if everything's happening at once, then maybe sometimes when we have somewhat of a premonition um, it's actually just that everything's happening at once and it kind of has a, a bleed through. Just well, I, I think that's true. In fact, that also, it, it reminds me of something I was thinking about on one of my walks the past few days. I was thinking about the concept of prophecy, which is a, a concept I've always had. I, I kind of always keep it at arm's length. Not always, but usually I've kept it at arm's length. At least the um, word. <laughs> what's that? I said at least the word. The word, yeah. Well, the word and and the way it was usually presented, it was presented as if it was soothsaying or, you know, seeing into the future, that kind of thing. And what I realized is that what prophecy really is, it's a fictional story made real. It, when the prophecy is first uttered within the context of time, Correct. at that point in time, it's not yet real. No, it's a fiction. It's a fiction. But the belief behind that prophecy drives it into reality. And so when I understand it that way, okay, well, from a law of attraction perspective, now I understand what prophecy is. Now, you've taken it a step further, though. You pointed out that time is nonlinear and that uh, really it all happens simultaneously. And and to me, that just kind of reinforces, okay, yeah, the moment that I create this imaginal idea of what's going to happen, it happens. It's all right there. It's all happening at the same moment. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... We, we, we go on with Neville saying all activity is at bottom imaginal. Oh, I, I want, before I go further, I, I want, before you go further, I wanted to add one more thing. What it also told me, and this is something that I, this clarified something for me. It may not mean anything to the rest of our audience, but it clarified something for me. Because I always had trouble with the idea, what's a prophet? Now I understand what a prophet is. We are all prophets. At all times, we are all prophets. And now that I understand it that way, now it makes total sense to me. Now I can actually use the word prophecy and feel good about it. Well, and I think that the the thing that makes a prophet a prophet is that he's speaking something. Mm -hmm. Because a prophecy is a spoken thing or written thing. There are words involved. It's expressed. And I think that that's why it's so important. You know, I think it was Florence Scovel Shin that said, if we recognized how much power you know, our words had mm. very careful what we would speak. I, I, I actually get nervous about that, to be honest. Right? I know. I, I know. I know. Me too. And sometimes I catch myself saying, you know, to someone else, stop, don't say that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when they're j- just joking about something, like about the hurricane we just had or mm-hmm. 
whatever. It says, no, 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 don't, <laughs> don't say it. But on the other hand, I've also gotten to the point where I'm a little bit less concerned about the words because of what we understand now. And this is a big concept of Neville's. It's more of the feeling that it is the words. The feeling is what drives everything. The, 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 the word is how we kind of encapsulate the thought that we associate the feeling with. Um, and so from that perspective, we need to be careful about um, the words. But, I mean, if I just say a word and I don't really give it much thought so there's not much vibration built up around it, then, you know, it's not going to have much of a, of a law of attraction impact. But if I keep focusing on it and get the feeling behind it and get excited about it and so forth, yeah, those are the ones I want to be really careful and cautious it's about. stories. It's those stories. Those stories. Over and over. You know the stories we could tell in our sleep because we've told them so many times. That exactly. Those are the stories that have the momentum, and we need to be careful about what stories we're telling. That's right. Yeah. So Neville says all activity is at bottom imaginal. An awakened imagination works with a purpose. It's kind of what we're talking about right now, right? It's mm -hmm. not that we just think things willy-nilly, but that we are conscious about it and we are purposeful about it. He says it creates and conserves the desirable and transforms or destroys. Um, there is a... And I, it sounds exactly out of Abraham. It's not, it, I mean, literally, it just sounds like well, Abraham to me. It's choosing between the preferred and the not preferred. <laughs> there, there's this idea of destruction, but you know, everything gets destroyed for new things to happen. Yeah, constantly. And so, yeah. So I like that this is worded this way: divine imagining and human imagining are not two powers at all; rather, one. Here we go again, right? Because he's been saying all along that our imagination is God. So he's saying there's no difference here. The valid distinction which exists between the seeming two lies not in the substance with which they operate, but in the degree of intensity of the operant power itself. Acting at high tension, an imaginal act is an immediate objective fact. Keyed low an imaginal act is realized in a time process. Now, this is kind of what we've been talking about as well, mm -hmm. how much momentum it has. Yeah, right? absolutely. But, but whether imagination is keyed high or low, it is the ultimate, essentially non-objective reality from which objects are poured forth like sudden fancies. He Now, he took that from Herman Kersling, Count, the travel diary of a philosopher. Oh. That phrase, ultimate, essentially non-objective reality, from which objects are poured forth like sudden fancies. No object is independent of imagining on some level or levels. And we talk about this all the time when we say that everything started out as a thought. Right. And, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is, and we've probably talked about it together, and I know we've experienced it together, and that is that when you have a brainstorm, it's always fun and light. And it gets exciting and inspiring. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, when you first thought of the idea of the grass is greener, all these ideas pouring forth, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is so exciting. This is so and then when you get into it and it starts actually coming into physical reality, that's when it starts taking on some weight. It's it not does. so light anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not so light, but... Also, by the same token, when you when you come up with the idea, like I remember what it was like coming up with the idea for the grass is greener, uh, because uh, Alex and myself and Tom Wells, who was also on the show at that point, um, the three of us were, were kind of brainstorming 
what would what would such a uh, an audio play look like? What what would the storyline be like? You know, what would the characters be doing? What kind of problems would they run into, and so forth? And as we're dreaming this up, um, we we come up with the idea. I think Alex came up with the name "The Grass Is Greener." I love and, it. Yeah, and it, it was perfect. But at the time that we came up with it, there wasn't a whole lot of thoughts coming through our minds. I mean, there were a lot of potentials. I mean, we could kind of see a lot of different directions. But at that moment in time, honestly, it was a fairly light idea. And I, I mention that because I have a feeling that the most effective ideas in terms of what we're trying to direct are the ones that we don't try to turn into this great big ball of twine before they actually get going. I agree. And and I think that lightness is part of it. Yeah. Or a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Everything in the world owes its character to imagination on one of its various levels. Objective reality, writes Fitch, is solely produced through imagination. Objects seem so independent of our perception of them that we incline to forget that they owe their origin to imagination. The world in which we live is a world of imagination, and man, through his imaginal activities, creates the realities and the circumstances of life. This he does either knowingly or unknowingly. That's what we talked about a minute ago. Right creating it just because that's what we do as humans or creating it consciously, knowing what we want to create. And being aware too, by the way, it's being aware that, I mean, I I kind of try to remind myself of this every once in a while. I'll look around the room and I'll say to myself, imagination created every single one of these things that I see around me. It start, all these things started as imagination first. And, and I remember the first few times I started to do that a number of years ago, Boy, was that a hard concept to get. I, I actually feel like I've, I've graduated to kindergarten. I've gotten to the point now where I can get it a lot of the time. But, <laughs> I mean, it, it's still mind-blowing to me. I mean, I, I like to do this example all the time. I'll pick something up and I'll say, this hard, solid object start out as just an idea. Wow. Yep. It is mind-blowing. It is. And as we go through life and experience the things we're experiencing, we're hearing them feeling them, you know, smelling all of our senses, it's still all just being created in our mind, right? That's right. (laughs) So Neville says that men pay too little attention to this priceless gift, the human imagination, and a gift is practically non-existent unless there is a conscious possession of it and a readiness to use it. All men possess the power to create reality, but this power sleeps as though dead when not consciously exercised. Men live in the very heart of creation, the human imagination, yet are no wiser for what takes place therein. The future will not be fundamentally different from the imaginal activities of man. Therefore, the individual who can summon at will whatever imaginal activity he pleases and to whom the visions of his imagination are as real as the forms of nature is master of his fate. The future is the imaginal activity of man in its creative march. Imagining is the creative power not only of the poet, the artist, the actor and orator, but of the scientist, the inventor, the merchant, and the artisan. Its abuse in unrestrained, unlovely image-making is obvious. (laughs) Its abuse in undue repression breeds a sterility which robs man of actual wealth of experience. Imagining novel solutions to ever more complex problems is far more noble than to run from problems. Life is the continual solution of a continuously synthetic 
problem. Now, he says something here that I really, really like. And that is that it's obvious to say that we can use this imagination in making things that are unlovely. And we see this all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's a worse abuse to not use the, <laughs> this, this tool, right? To, because that's what actually will rob us of wealth, of a wealth of experience is just abusing it by not using it. It's an interesting thing because that, this is the closest I think he's ever come to making a moralistic statement. And talking about, you know, using um, this as a solution to complex problems being noble is something that we don't see in his earlier work. I, or at least I don't remember it because it was more about just the problems aren't really there. <laughs> right, right, right. And now he's saying you know, imagining novel solutions to ever more complex problems is far more noble than to run from problems. And that life is the continual solution of a continuously synthetic problem. I really, really like what he's saying here. Okay. Imagination creates events. Or he says imagining, so the act of using our imagination. Imagining creates events. The world created out of men's imagining comprises unnumbered, warring beliefs. (laughs) Therefore, there can never be a perfectly stable or static state. Mm. Today's events are bound to disturb yesterday's established order. Boy, we're seeing that this week. We've seen that a lot. Yeah, in fact, i got to mark this page because this is very significant stuff right here. Imaginative. Walt, are you using a highlighter? No, I'm not using a highlighter, believe it or not. No, I... Cindy and I have talked about this a lot. She likes to highlight books, and I, I consider it to be something like, you know, attacking <laughs> the book. But the, when I want to mark something, no, I'll, I'll use um, uh, a Post-it note. So I'm, I'm marking with a Post-it note. I was sort of teasing, but I got yeah, excited. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't keep highlighters anywhere near books. <laughs> sacrilege, sacrilege. <laughs> I, love this, I love this idea. Today's events are bound to disturb yesterday's established order. Yes. Imaginative men and women invariably unsettle a pre-existing peace of mind. Think about that. Imagine men and women invariably unsettle a pre-existing peace of mind. Yeah. This just reminds me of, you know, good trouble, right? (laughs) It is. Right? Um, Do not bow before the dictate of facts and accept life on the basis of the world without. Assert the supremacy of your imaginal acts over facts and put all things in subjection to them. Hold fast to your ideal in your imagination. Nothing can take it from you but your failure to persist in imagining the ideal realized. Imagine only such states that are of value or promise well. Um, this is something really useful for all of us right now, I think. Mm, yeah. Well, but one of the things that I really liked, especially in that earlier, the previous paragraph, was where he said that, uh, where is it? Therefore, there can never be a perfectly stable or static state. And that, to me, is one of the best reminders we can get, regardless of whether we even believe in, you know, being in control of creating reality. Right, right. For people who, who don't believe in that, it's still a very valuable piece of information. Because what it's really saying is, Aiming at stability, aiming at a, a perfectly stable state is not possible. I mean, you can aim at it, but you'll never get there. 
And, and that's, it's an important thing to, I think it's important to accept, to just say, you know what, I'm okay with the fact that life isn't always going to be stable, that things are going to go awry, that things are going to happen unexpectedly, and, and that I just get to ride the ride, because that's what this is. This is a ride. Right. And, you know, I, I like that you can take that idea and you can apply it to your own personal life experience and expand it out as far as you like to the, to the world. Right. But everything's always changing and moving. It and is. We all have ideas of what, you know, he uses the word ideal, right? We all have ideas of what would be ideal for mm-hmm. the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the truth is, is that it's always going to still be changing. That's right. Even if we got there, even if we recognize some ideal that we hold, it wouldn't be static. <laughs> and indeed, when you look at what he's been teaching us all along in all of his books, and which he's uh, quite clearly laying out in this book, since everything is, all, all the physical world, so-called, is actually just imaginal, it just, it, it just literally exists in imagination, then, of course, how could it be anything other than constantly changing? Because yeah. our imaginations constantly change. Our focus constantly changes. Our yes. thought patterns change. And he actually uses the word, um, looking back to it again, um, warring. Yeah. War, warring beliefs. Right. Warring beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to have that. We're going to have... Other people are going to have different beliefs than we have, and they are going to, you know, be um, conflicting, and it's okay. Not only is it okay, I would say it's ne- it's a necessity. It's, it's necessarily desirable. It is both desirable and a necessity, and I, it recalls to me a conversation I had with somebody on social media very recently within the last week, and in which um, – I don't know what it is. Lately, Cindy, I've been drawn more and more into political discussions that I didn't really want to be in in the first place. Um, but I made a, I saw somebody make a comment and I, I foolishly commented back and, um, it turned into a long-term discussion in which I finally understood that what the person I was talking with was saying was, we need to get everybody on board thinking the same way. And that's what he called unity. He said, unity, this, this unity is what we need to aspire to. And, it really, I mean, Neville actually was part of what, what stopped me there. It was Neville and Abraham was both basically saying, you're barking up the wrong tree there, buddy. You're never going to get there. You're never going to have unity. And thank goodness for that, because if we had unity, we would have only one perspective in life. It would Everybody would have exactly the same perspective. And boy, would that be dull. Right. And that's the point that I was making is that even if we got there, think about a small group. Even if yeah. we got everyone on board thinking the same thing, mm-hmm. one of two, three million things is going to happen. But, you know, either someone else is going to join the group that thinks differently <laughs> or somebody in the group is going to change their mind. Because yep. we have an imagination. I mean, it's the beauty of what we have going on as humans. We have an imagination. We have creativity. We have our own unique thoughts and perspectives. And so it's actually a really great thing that things aren't static. Um, we don't want that. Definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I aspire to living a life that has that kind of contrast in it, as Abraham calls it, that has that, what Neville calls the wars of ideas, the wars of, of perspectives and viewpoints. 
Um, and some of them are probably going to end up being violent because that's what some wars are, but not all of them. A lot of them are just going to be, I'm fighting you and you're fighting me because we have different ideas and okay, well, that's the way it's going to be. Well, I celebrate that. That's actually a good thing. That, that kind of diversity actually makes life interesting. The world is violent and there are a lot of unlovely things in the world and that's the way it is. And part of us probably wants to experience all of that. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I want to pick violence all the time. Absolutely. I, I really never do. I, I always opt away from violence. Right. But so that, do I. I yeah. <laughs> the point I'm making is that, you know, we all have unconscious things going on as well. Mm-hmm. And I believe we came here to experience the, the variety. We came here to experience everything. Um, but, you know, there's part of us that thinks we only should ever experience anything good. And so <laughs> we're working on that, right? Well, I, I I actually think that the the two very nicely go together. They dovetail because, yes, I mean, you and I both agree we don't really want to deal with anything where it's actual you know, physical violence going on. We we really don't want that part of our lives. And what we learn through our studies of law of attraction theory, Neville Goddard, Abraham, other teachers, is we can attract the kind of lives we really want. I mean, it doesn't really matter what, you know, if, if, if a war is going on somewhere around the world, we don't have to be a part of that. We can focus on what we prefer instead and we will experience what we prefer instead. So it's not like we're, we're stuck. It's not like we're locked into, oh my God, we're in this warring uh, environment and we're, oh, we're going to get caught into this. No, that's not the way it has to be at all. But, but by the same token, I'm glad that that freedom is there for that to happen. And and to me, part of the interesting thing about being alive here on Earth is, well, Abraham says, well, and, and I know this is a Neville discussion, but I always like to bring Abraham in because I like some of the things they say. Abraham says, in answer to the question, why do we even bother to come here if there's all these terrible things going on? Well, because we want to taste chocolate and because we want to experience colors. And, and you can only do things like that when you actually bring yourself into this imaginal physical realm. So it's actually a good thing where there's a lot of great things that happen and we can, we can pick and choose which ones we want to experience. But I certainly wouldn't want to eliminate what creates that imaginal realm. And part of that is that war of ideas, different right. perspectives. That's how you get this kind of a realm. All the stuff we think we don't want. You yeah. Know? So. It's what causes us to experience contrast, and it's what causes us to decide what we do want yeah. and get in touch with all of that. So I, I, I really love that in this chapter that Neville talked about um, using our imagination and creativity to create solutions, mm-hmm. right? And that I, I, I just I really love that he's saying this. All right. So Neville says to attempt to change circumstances. Before you change your imaginal activity is to struggle against the very nature of things. Okay. How many have ever done that? Raise your hand. My hand is up. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about this all the time is when something needs to happen and we're like, okay, what do I need to do here? And then, you know, an hour into the process, we start thinking about alignment. Right. (laughs) There can be no outer change until there is first an imaginal change. Everything you do unaccompanied by an imaginal change is but futile readjustment of surfaces. I have that highlighted with a pink highlighter in my paper book. Look, everything you do unaccompanied by an imaginal change is but futile readjustment of surfaces. I love that phrasing. If I were a highlighter, I agree. That's the one I would highlight. That's a good one. Moving things around. Mm, (laughs) Imagining the wish fulfilled brings about a union with that state. And during that union, you behave in keeping with your imaginal change. 
This shows you that an imaginal change will result in a change of behavior. However, your ordinary imaginal alterations as you pass from one state to another are not transformations because each of them is so rapidly succeeded by another in the reverse direction. But whenever one state grows so stable as to become your constant mood, your habitual attitude, then that habitual state defines your character and is a true transformation. So we see this all the time, right? When we're trying to develop a new habit or something, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do okay for a few days and then we oh, might yeah. end up going back to what our old habit was because we haven't changed in the imaginal state. So this is what Neville is pointing out that we have to have that state grow stable. And we do that by using our imagination. Now, he makes a rather controversial statement in the next paragraph, so this is going to yeah. be interesting. He says, how do you do it? Self-abandonment. And, you know, a minute ago we were talking about when he used the word destruction. This was actually exactly what I was thinking of, is that in order for us to go to move into a new um, experience, a new identity, we have to be willing to destroy the old identity. Mm. And I think that's what he's talking about here. He says, That is the secret. You must abandon yourself mentally to your wish fulfilled in your love for that state. And in doing so, live in the new state and no more in the old state. You can't commit yourself to what you do not love. So the secret of self-commission is faith plus love. Um, He doesn't say self-love here, but that's where my mind goes. Yeah. (laughs) And and when he says self-abandonment, what I... The way I take that to mean is abandoning my old self because myself, I mean, we, we like to think of ourselves as being constant. And in many ways we are. We are a continuous flow of who we are. But we are also constantly changing, which, which is kind of a contradiction in terms of constant changing. But nevertheless, that's what we do. We constantly evolve and change and grow and meander and all kinds of stuff. And so from one moment to the next, we are literally in a position to abandon who we were a moment ago and move on to the new person who we are becoming. And most of the time we don't do that. A lot of the time we don't. And part of it is is what we were talking about earlier about stories. Mm-hmm. We tell the same stories over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Right? Like think about when people talk about their preferences. Yes. Like, oh, I don't like white wine. I'm a red wine drinker. Right, right. <laughs> or whatever, right? It's like, oh, I don't like dark chocolate. Like, at the, And we tell the story and we tell the story and what do we do? We just keep creating that version of ourselves. And I used kind of trivial things, but sometimes it's much bigger things that we tell stories about. Mm -hmm. Because we're not willing to abandon that identity. What is it they say that uh, we have like, what, 60 or 80,000 thoughts a day and 95% of them are the same ones we had yesterday? Oh, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So no wonder. So that's the reason why I'm I'm constantly saying, you know, evolution is very slow, right? Very slow. Transformation, though, can happen in an instant, and that's the thing to remember. That's right. So he says, faith is believing what is unbelievable. Commit yourself to the feeling of the wish fulfilled in faith that this act of self-commission will become a reality. And it must become a reality because imagining creates reality. Imagination is both conservative and transformative. It is conservative when it builds its world from images supplied by memory and the evidence of the senses. 
It is creatively transformative when it imagines things as they ought to be, building its world out of the generous dreams of fancy. (laughs) (laughs) In, In the procession of images, the ones that take precedence naturally are those of the senses. Nevertheless, a present sense impression is only an image. It does not differ in nature from a memory image or the image of a wish. Um, that's really interesting. We recognize that when we watch a movie, our body reacts to the, the fiction in the mm-hmm. same way we would. You know, the same, if we watch something that scares us, uh, the same chemical reaction happens in our body and brain as if it actually happened and we actually were scared. Right. Right, right. And, and that's what this reminds me of. It's like Neville is saying the procession of images, the ones that take precedence naturally are those of the senses. And so it doesn't differ in nature from a memory image or the image of a wish, mm. which is completely a fiction at the time we wish for it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What makes a present sense impression so objectively real is the individual's imagination functioning in it and thinking from it. Whereas in a memory image or a wish, the individual's imagination is not functioning in it and thinking from it, but is functioning out of it and thinking of it. So the best way to describe that is when we talk about uh, meditation and envisioning something, it's the difference of looking out and seeing yourself climb up a ladder or reaching your hands out and grabbing the ladder and feeling yourself climb up the rungs of the ladder. Right. That's the, right. that, that, that's the uh, the image that he generated in one of his stories, and and that is a great image because there is a huge difference between reaching out and grabbing that ladder and simply imagining yourself walking up the ladder. <laughs> right. So he's talking about the senses and says that the present sense impression is objectively real because it's our imagination functioning in it, mm. thinking from it. So. I'm feeling my hands grab the sides of the ladder and I'm feeling my feet go up the rungs. And instead of just standing far off and looking and watching myself go up the ladder, which is not the, the preferred uh, method for Neville. Um, Neville says, well, I I have to agree with him. If I just try to walk the ladder in my imagination without actually walking the ladder, but as if I were like looking at the scene from afar, I don't get very far up the ladder. I climb the ladder much more efficiently when I actually grab the ladder in my mind. Yeah, well, you know, I've asked people before when they meditate, um, what what are they seeing when they're seeing a vision of themselves doing something? And some people will say, oh, no, I kind of am far off watching it like a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people will say, oh, no, I'm right there. I'm in my body, you know, experiencing it in my body. And yeah. so that's what, Neville, uh, that's what Neville instructs us to do right. is think from it to to assume the feeling of the wish. And it's worth talking about for a second that when we talk about feelings and assuming the feeling of a wish, we don't have to be talking about emotions, but there's the feeling of my hands on the ladder and my feet on the floor or my feet climbing up the rungs. Those are all things we can physically feel. And so imagining those feelings, we want to assume that feeling. He talks about uh, if, if someone were to be desiring um, a promotion that they could imagine uh, someone congratulating them and reaching out and shaking their hand. Right. Me, those are sometimes easier to conjure up. Oh yeah. Imagination than feelings, right? Especially when we're 
taking the time to to do these kind of methods because we want something to happen that's not happening, it's easier to go there for me than to try to conjure up, you know, excitement or happiness when I'm not really feeling that at the time. And well, it's also a reminder too, those are forms of feeling. I mean, we, like you say, we tend to associate feeling. Well, I feel it with, I feel excitement. I feel happy. I feel whatever, but the sense, sensory feelings are also feelings. They're just different labeled stuff. And I, I always, when I'm teaching, I often make this distinction is that I can say, I feel sad. I have a lump in my throat. Yes. I feel frustrated. I have a knot in my stomach. Well, that right. frustration is the emotion. The knot in the stomach is the feeling. Right. And so we need to make that distinction, especially with Neville, because he talks so much about assuming the feeling. And so that makes it easier for me, and I know a lot of people, is to recognize the feeling is actually a physical feeling that we can think about. It's very, very important. No doubt about that. All right. So we are... Yeah, we're running out of time here, aren't we? We're not going to finish this chapter today. <laughs> well, I, I want to make a note about the chapter. I And you'll have to remind me, I think we've done six of the, of the books so far. I think this is the first chapter of any significant length that we've read of Neville's that doesn't contain a Bible verse. Well, it started with one way at the beginning, but I'm not even sure I read it because it was before the chapter title. <laughs> oh, well, that in the printed book, it started with, with the Blake quote. So okay, yeah. um, what, what you're looking at is uh, has gotten perhaps more information than what's in this book. Well, what I think the verse that was at the beginning is actually like at the, at the cover page of the book itself. So it's really, you're right, it's not in this chapter. So we did. We, we went that's, this far with it. <laughs> that, that's like, that's almost mind-blowing. <laughs> I've gotten used to it now, you know. There was a time where I would, I would have cringed. Now it's like, okay, where's the Bible verse? Come on. <laughs> So, so I think we'll wind up with that, just the idea that, um, that he talks about here. If you would enter into the image in your imagination, then would you know what it is to be creatively transformative. Then you would realize your wish. And then you would be happy. Every image can be embodied. But unless you yourself enter the image and think from it, it's incapable of birth. So mm. it's not going to bear any fruit if we're just gazing from afar, but we need to actually sense that we are thinking from that spot. It's, it's a vital point to bring up in the very first chapter of, of his magnum opus, and I'm, I'm glad that he does <laughs> because that is the one that I pick up the most from what we previously read of his material. That's the one that, that stands out the most. That is, as you described it the first time we talked about Neville, that is assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we're off to a good start. We'll finish uh, this chapter next week, I'm sure. Well, I think so. We're, yeah, we're well into it, so we'll, we'll finish it next week. We'll probably get into chapter two as well. Yep. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to be with this book for a while. This one has, what, it's, it's like over 20 chapters in it, I think. Yeah, I think we're going to be in here for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not. Four, I guess about 14, 15 chapters. But they, they, they take up a nice chunk of this uh, this uh, um, collection of stories here. So I, I know it's a good-sized book. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, oh yeah, but uh, it's so great to have you back. Thank you for uh, returning to us so happily and and in such fine fettle. Um, I'm glad that your uh, your vacation was such a wonderful vacation too. So it was, it was great. Yeah, it's a good thing. So I look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you to our live stream listeners. Thank you to our podcast listeners as well. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. If I could turn on the music for, for whatever reason, the music isn't playing. That's right. <laughs> Here we go.